some years ago, when I was in college, I, I heard a pastor saying, can I unmute? I can unmute. I think you can probably hear me without this thing, but, uh, but, uh, but I will. Hey. Green. It's green. It's green. It's green. Now, now you can hear my low voice, right? But uh, a pastor in a church where I was in my freshman year of college uh, was speaking on Matthew 6, and he made this statement. Some people make their heaven in a bank, but Jesus calls us to make our bank in heaven. And I, that was one of the things that God really used to challenge me to, to uh, make my life count for eternity. Well, Pam and I have been interested in missions a long time, even before we got together. But uh, God has brought us to, to Kampala, Uganda. And we're, we've been now about 20 years with missions to the world. Uh, Uganda's on the equator, uh, but it's not really hot there because there are mountains in the west, the Ruanzoris, and also mountains in the east. The source of the River Nile is there, and... Uh, our son, Tim, is one of those yellow helmets. But, uh, yeah, there's people travel from all over the world just to do that uh, on, at the source of the River Nile. And then, of course, all the animals that you would expect to see in Africa. Uh, I, I like, uh, this is my personal favorite, the Jackson Hartebeest, because I, I can relate to this. This, not in the fact that it's very fast, because I'm not very fast. But in another thing is that he has a very short memory. Can easily outrun a lion, but then it forgets why why it's running. <laughs> doesn't end well. <laughs> but uh, when Winston Churchill, at the beginning of the 20th century, visited Uganda, he, he gave it the name the Pearl of Africa, and so we still call it. Uh, the, the pearl. He took Georgia, South Carolina, put them together. That's about the land area that we have. But around 46 million people and 46 different languages. So about a language for every million people. Uh, so it's a very densely populated country, lots of different languages, but after seventh grade, all the education has to be in English. And so English is the one language that unites people in Uganda, unlike what you see in some of the other uh, countries where they have another trade language. The need. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, ask, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers for his harvest field. I was meditating on that verse some time back, and I made a couple of observations. And the first observation was this, that there is always more work to do than there are workers to do it. But I wondered, when I was working in, in America, and there were churches, seemed like everywhere, and I know there's a lot of people out there, but, but there seemed to be some 
don't have to travel too far to get a, to get a good church. I was just wondering, is that really true, Lord? Is, is this really true that there, that there is more work to do than there are workers to do it? Because in the PCA, we have more ordained uh, elders than we have positions for them to fill in the churches, teaching elders, I mean pastors. So, uh, so I, I wondered about that, and as I was meditating uh, on that, uh, the Lord uh, just brought to mind the image of the migrant workers, who uh, they just, they come and they harvest whatever's in season, but they move with the harvest. You know, they'll start down in Florida in the citrus season, and then as spring comes, they'll They'll move up, they'll get the peaches, they'll come up, they'll get the tomatoes in August, and then the apples in, in the fall, and then they go back down and start it all over again. So the, the observation that I made is that the most workers are needed where the harvest is greatest. And Uganda, sub-Saharan Africa, really, which is all of Africa, south of the Sahara Desert. I know people People think of, uh, people don't realize how big the continent of Africa is, but you see the little grayed out section where the Sahara, uh, even in part of that is the Sahara Desert. The continental United States would fit inside of that. So this is a huge, huge uh, continent, uh, second only to Asia, but it truly is the land of, of harvest, it is a place where the church is growing faster than on any of the other major continents. I don't know why in this graphic they didn't include Australia, but Australia is more, more, more like what's happening in, in, uh, in, in uh, North America. So what, what, we're, what we're seeing is, is uh, a lot of people coming to Christ, or at least claiming to come to Christ in Africa. I don't think of all of them as truly born-again Christians. Uh, people say, is, is it true that Uganda is 80% Christian? And I said, well, if the United States is 75% Christian, then yes, Uganda is 80% Christian. So you have to kind of take those numbers with a, with a, a little bit of a, a grain of salt. But the fact remains that uh, if these trends continue by the year 2050, 40% of the world's Christians will live in Africa. And that's that's pretty staggering when you're thinking about a future. So you better be nice to Africans. They're going to be the ones uh, evangelizing your kids, your, grand, your grandkids. The big problem that is faced and kind of where the niche is that we felt like we, we, could, we could help some is that 95% of the teachers or 95% of the preachers in Africa have no theological training. You can imagine that leads to all kinds of weird stuff in what is taught. A lot of the health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, and, and whatnot. Uh, the uh, Operation World, which I hope some of you are familiar with, it's a book, uh, a book that really helps you, helps you pray for different countries of the world, said that uh, the lack of trained leaders is a major bottleneck to the advancement of the kingdom of God. When I saw that statistic, I, I thought, I live in Africa, and that sounds a little high to me. And then 2018, I visited one of my former students, Albino, has planted 20 churches. He's the only trained leader in any of the 20 churches, leading any of the 20 churches.
true that, uh, that this is a, a huge need. What we are trying to do by the grace of God is break the bottleneck through theological and ministerial training. This is done in many different venues. The place where we have been living since 2015 has been African Bible University. And why don't you tell about some of the students that, uh, that came in from there? Okay, so Ezra, a Congolese pastor, uh, he thanks God that he's even alive because in 2015, there were a lot of rebel activity in the Congo, and literally people were running for their lives to get to the Ugandan border. He got to the border, and he wasn't even sure if his family made it. After some time, uh, praise God, he was reunited with his family members. And in 2010, his father, someone murdered his father. And he became a very bitter, angry young man. For one thing, he could no longer afford to go to school. And they knew, it was, I suppose, common knowledge, but he knew who had murdered his father. And so he vowed that when he was old enough, he would avenge his father's murder, and he would murder the murderer. Well, one day, someone invited him to church. And while he was in church, they were having a time of testimony. And a man stood up and said, I've become a believer in Jesus Christ, but I want to confess to you that I murdered a family in a nearby village during the Rwandan genocide. After he sat down, a lady in the, in the same congregation stood up and said, I can tell from the details of your story that you murdered my family. And she said, but I too have become a believer in Jesus Christ our Lord. And because he has forgiven all of my sins, I choose to forgive you. And I want you to know that from this day forward, you will be my son. Well, Ezra's stunned and he thought, if this woman can forgive a man that she sees standing there for killing her whole family, then I must forgive the man who murdered my father. Ezra knows that as a pastor, he needs more training. So by faith, he joined African Bible University. So please pray for him and many students like him who need school fees, for great is the harvest, but the workers are few. Odette is also from the Congo. She, had, she was raised by a, her grandmother, who was a practicing witch. So she did not receive compassion, love, the things that you're desperate for as a child. She would chop wood for her grandmother, bring water, work for her. And she decided at one point, you know, I can't really love her as a, as a grandmother, but I can love her as an enemy, and I will just pray and trust God to get me out of this terrible situation. Sometime later, her brother decided to apply to African Reformation Theological Seminary, he and his wife, Grace teaches there, and they asked her, would you be willing to come to Uganda to take care of the children while we go to school? So she too moved to Uganda, and then a short while later, the Lord opened her, uh, the door for her to attend African Bible University, provided a scholarship, and she testifies that, you know, it's true, 
God really does use everything to work for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Grace came from South Korea in 2014 with her husband and two small boys to become missionaries there, start schools. She's lived a difficult life because one year later, her father was killed in a car wreck in South Korea. And then in 2018, Grace was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Six months later, her husband went on a business trip in Uganda, driving hours away. And one day she heard her phone, uh, she heard her phone ringing. She answered it and and the man on the other end said, are you the wife of, and then she, he named the man's name. And she said, yes. And he said, well, your husband was just killed in a car wreck. I just got, I have his phone. Well, she just decided to carry on with the mission work. But she felt much anger towards God. And she basically did, was going through the motions. Then last year, or a little bit before, she thought, you know, my husband was going to go get more training at African Bible University, and I think I'll just do that. So she came, and she testifies that through, the, through prayer and the word of God that she heard over and over again, God began to change her bitterness to gratitude and her weakness to strength. Pam mentioned that I also teach at Africa Reformation Theological Seminary. This uh, was a school that started with a different name, but we started it in 2007. And uh, this is the only Presbyterian uh, Evangelical Reform uh, graduate school of theology um, that's on the whole African continent, uh, 1.4 billion people. So we get students from, from all over Africa, uh, and even some from other other places. This was a class last year, and we were able finally to have a graduation after being shut down two years because of COVID. But it was great to see some of these individuals finally graduated, especially the Master of Divinity program. I just tried to color in on the map the different countries in Africa where we've had students from. We've also had them from other countries in the world, but these are the ones, uh, 15 or so countries in Africa where we have, have gotten this. Arch uh, believes that prayer is the, is the most important thing that we can really do because God doesn't do anything of significance without prayer. So we have a special prayer garden and prayer rooms down at the bottom level and a prayer veranda up there and up on the top level a war room that's called that where where prayer is is made on an ongoing basis for the advancement of the kingdom of God. If you hang around in Africa long enough and um, the minister, you get some children named after you. <laughs> so this, this is one of the little Sinclairs uh, that uh, that was named for, for in our honor because of the 
was a, it was a really touching story, but uh, the man who, who was the father of this child uh, said, I, I always knew I was supposed to be perfect, but didn't, but didn't see how I possibly could be. And it wasn't until I was in your class, we called it Galatians, an introduction to grace, that, that I understood that, that I, I will never be perfect in this life, but that Jesus' perfection is accepted by God on my behalf. So this, this guy is a, a really bright student and has, has done so much, but we're, we're honored to have him named after us, his child named after us. The COVID, aren't you sick about hearing about COVID? I mean, it, it, it was, COVID was not really bad in Uganda in terms of the disease, but the draconian restrictions that were put on were just devastating the, the economy, devastating people who, we're, we're talking about people that are just barely surviving anyway, then take away all their opportunities for jobs and shopping. We have some pretty sad stories. Our garbage men were always looking for, through our garbage to see if they could find food that we hadn't eaten. We took food to family that was subsisting on banana peels. It, it was just, it, it was just uh, terrible. So there was increased poverty and a lot of starvation. That was, that was the legacy of the of the lockdown, not the disease. We had just about gotten over it when we had the spike with the Delta variant. So as I mentioned, our seminary was shut down for two years. It was, it was, it was tough. But finally this year in January, the country finally reopened, reopened for business. During COVID, I had the opportunity to go to Tucson, Arizona. You're right if you thought that doesn't look like yeah, Uganda. <laughs> But, but in, uh, in, in Tucson, Arizona, we were able to get a, a repatriation flight, I think they called it, because the, the school in, I mean, the church in Tucson, a PCA church needed where help, where our son was, they needed a pastoral uh, public supply. So for four months during COVID, we went out to Arizona. I had a wonderful time uh, there with that, with that group. And uh, a special part of it was we were able to be there with our, our son, Tim, and his wife, Hannah. And at this point, she was pregnant with, her first, with our first grand, grandchild. Another thing that I did in COVID back in Uganda was a lot of weddings. <laughs> somehow, somehow it managed at our local church. I, I end up being the interim pastor whenever we're between pastors. And we had a lot of weddings and I was the only one that was able to do them. But I was very happy to do this one for, for uh, Jackson and, uh, and his lovely wife. And we, we want to see godly Christian marriages. Sometimes we're told 
the best thing you've done for us here in Africa is show us what a Christian marriage should look like. And I, I feel that that, I tell people even now, that's a compliment, but it's a sad compliment. You know, so I challenge people now at their weddings, I want you to be the family that they're saying that about. Thank you, grandmother, grandpa, well, they don't call them that, but ja-ja. Thank you for, for, for being for us the example of what a Christian marriage should look like. COVID particularly hit hard in a, in a refugee settlement where we work. <coughs> Here in Dongo, refugee settlements, about three and a half hours away, we have several students, former students, who are pastoring churches in there. There are around 2,500 believers in the churches in the camp right now. They really struggled during COVID uh, because the, uh, this is just one of the students, the, the UN decided that you can't social distance in the food distribution line, so we just won't distribute any food. Uh, this was, a, this was a, a tough thing. One of them, the one I was just seeing here, got a little ahead of myself here, but uh, Stephen, pastors a church of 700 people. They lost their meeting place, and we were, uh, we were able to raise a little bit of money to put up the equivalent of what we would call here a pole barn for them, but at least it does keep them out of the, the weather, and they're able to, to, to worship, and that made some of our <laughs> Sudanese pastors partners really happy. Usually when, when we're up there, I'll preach at this church, which is kind of their flagship church, but a lot of work going on there, and yet there is this big need for, for food. We still have people, even last week, we had a couple of deaths from, uh, from inadequate food. So the World Food Program did start giving uh, money not food, but giving money to buy food, <clears throat> but the money they're giving now is half of what was given before, which was not adequate. It's $5 a month per person now. It's cheaper to, to buy food there than it is here, but it's not that much cheaper. And that is, so it's, uh, it's really, really a problem. A lot of people not having enough food. So one of the things we've tried to do, we are not tell the people that we are not. Uh, we are not a relief organization. We cannot meet this kind of need that, that, is, that is happening here. But as God enables us, we'll help. So we've had one particular church up in Virginia gave them money to buy 10 acres of land which they can farm and grow some of their own food. Also, MPW and partner churches and individuals have helped to supplement the food allowances. And as of the time I made this slide, which was not too long ago, we had uh, more than $100,000. It's gone up some since then. So we're thankful to be able to reach out a bit. The most exciting development since we were with you last is that we have started a new denomination called the Reformation Church in East Africa. I realized that of the 200 or so churches planted by my former students, most of them were Pentecostal churches. 
we wanted to emphasize, emphasize more or at least focus our energy a little bit more into uh, people who had better, better doctrine. And so this was founded a few years ago. I can't remember the exact, the exact year. But the upper picture there is a conference that we had in April that MTW sponsored. We had participants from 11 countries, and most of them want to begin a presbytery in their own country, which is really, really exciting stuff for us. So that's where we're, we're working now. We worship at one of the flagship churches of the denomination called New City Community Church. And Pam teaches, well, tell us here. Okay. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, I thank God for the Sunday school teachers and the vacation Bible school workers who poured into my life because the verses that I learned, the tr you know, it just haunted and convicted me during extended teenage rebellion. So take heart, parents and grandparents, I could not, I could not get away from that truth. And here I stand today, <laughs> you know? So we are passionate about training people to teach children as well as the adults. And so I worked with a lady, actually they had picked her out to kind of run the Sunday school program, but as I met with her and mentored her, at, you know, I agreed with the pastor, sure, I realized she didn't know the Lord. So I mentored her for some time, and now she teaches Sunday school. I, I continue to teach it. But she runs the Sunday school program and recruits teachers far better than I ever did. So praise God. <laughs> so I, I mentioned the, the, the issue that we had with church planting when we went in 2015 to Uganda. The goal, no, 2005 we went to Uganda. The, the goal was in 20 years to see 100 churches started in the first seven or eight years, we already had that goal reached. But what we have seen now, as I, as I mentioned, I want to focus on those who are planting within the Reform, uh, Reformation Church in East Africa. And these are three of our church planters right now, all former students whom, whom I work with. So we are, we are thankful for that. Back in seminary, I was challenged to adopt a life verse. And what I adopted was 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Be strengthened by, when I learned it, it said be strong in, but this is actually a better translation. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is not a one-time thing that you get and then you're strong. It's a dynamic process of continually preaching the gospel to yourself going to the cross, looking to the love of, of the Father, repenting of your sins and turning to him. It's an ongoing process. That's how you're strengthened by grace that's, that's in Christ Jesus. And then the things that you've learned from me, Paul said to his protege, Timothy, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is what we've been trying to do through our ministry through my whole whole ministry one of the things you want to do as a missionary is work yourself out of a job frankly you want
try to get other people uh, involved. One of the partners that we're working with, you might have heard of because the, uh, the president of this is in our presbytery, is the Trinity Center for World Mission. I've recently been asked to do more work with the Trinity Center since almost all of the almost all of the faculty are of the these are seven campuses in five countries, and nearly all the faculty were my former students. The, re, the relational piece is huge in Africa, so I've been asked to kind of monitor the quality control type of, of thing, both for for <coughs> faculty members and for curriculum, be teaching a, a few courses out there. So we will be working that in and probably gradually shifting more and more to that as the Lord enables us. Exciting work and it's exciting to see the faithful men teaching others also. Our son Tim. Now he has a wife, Hannah, and a daughter, Ruth. And they live in Tucson. He's an elder at his PCA church and very involved in ministry there. And, and oh, they've got one in the oven. <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah, so you know, <laughs> we're like, okay, let's get going here, people. <laughs> uh, while we were in Tucson, when Bruce mentioned during COVID that we continued with school online and from Tucson, we met Derek, who is in Tim's life group and has been for years, and Derek wanted to know if he could come over and check out some mission stuff. He's a, well, now he's a supervisor overseeing the mechanics, but he's a mechanic for an airline, and so we said, sure, he wanted to check out math and some different things to see if there were any opportunities. While he was there, he met our daughter, Celeste, who has been teaching at a Christian international school for nine years. After we got back through dinner, he said, that was your daughter? And we said, yeah, that was our daughter because she was on the other side of the city and she was getting ready to go back to America. So then he saw her one more time and said, hey, when you come to Tucson to see Tim and Hannah and the baby, may I take you out for dinner? And so long story short, it worked well. They're getting married in December. <laughs> We're going to finally hand her off to some other guy. <laughs> So, uh, so these past few months, mom's been real, real busy with the preparation. And as dad, all, all I have to do, all all I have to do is write the checks and perform the ceremony. But uh, <laughs> that, that's it. Well, we appreciate all our partner churches, all our supporters. But uh, I do want you to know that Pinewood is special to us. Sam's membership is here. I'm a member of the Presbytery. And this is a church that just meant so much to us for so many years. And we really want to thank you for being a part of this ministry, not only through financial support, that's critical, but prayer, through prayer as, as well. And as we partner together, we are seeing how God can reach the pearl of Africa with the pearl of grace. it up a few minutes for any questions that you might have for uh, Bruce or Pam. I have a question. Yes, on, on the relief there, does the World Relief Organization get involved in any of that? 
world relief? Yeah, there's an organization. They, they provide food to these areas where they have... Uh, they probably are, they might be involved in the camp somewhere, but they're not involved in the particular group that we are sending to. Not so far. Uh, we we periodically get these Ebola breakouts, but uh, the one that's happened now hasn't affected anybody that I know. It's pretty well contained, and yet they're monitoring it very closely. So when we go back, we're going to have some issues. Yeah. Frank Bertwax, Frank for missionary. Uh huh. And so one of the top three things that Frank can be praying for. <laughs> All right, well, I think more than Frank prayed, but, uh, <laughs> but, but what, uh, well, the, 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 top, the top three things that you can be praying for missionaries in general or for us in particular, yeah. but for us, well, pray for our own spiritual lives. You know, we, we need Jesus just as much now as, uh, as we did the day we trusted him, and uh, the late Jack Miller said, Going to the mission field is like pouring miracle grow on all your sins. Living in those cultures just kind of makes every everything, um, you know, all, all the scum come to the top. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of repentance and confession that goes on in, in, in our lives. But there's a lot of joy, too, that comes with it because of the forgiveness. So just pray that the Lord would continue to draw us close to, to himself. Do pray for, for the ministry itself as we have had just, uh, uh, we've been very, very blessed to be able to see fruit from, from the ministry. Not all missionaries get that blessing. Now, some missionaries work for years and never see a single convert. I guess the Lord knew that I didn't have enough faith to do that, so he put, <laughs> he put me somewhere where I could see some fruit. But uh, but do do pray as as Jesus said, he he told his disciples that they could bear much fruit and fruit that will remain. So please pray as this that this fruit will carry on for generations to come until until Jesus returns. And then I know you have one. You I know you have one request. some of you can relate to this. It's not easy being separated. For us, it's 6,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, it's a lot more than that now that they're in Tucson. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's hard because uh, we just care about our kids and their spiritual growth. And so I think I tell people, if our spiritual lives are okay, then everything else takes care of itself. So I just continue to pray that the Sinclairs and their other, you know, their spouses would be totally sold out to Jesus and then everything will work out okay. <laughs> it always does. It had gotten up to about 111,000, but it was overcrowded. So they took, uh, they, they moved some to another camp, and they're, they're down to just under 90,000. Well, what, what we define as a, that's a good question. 
What is, what is a church? When, when the church is, is planted, we don't, we're not talking about necessarily when they are organized in terms of having elders and deacons, but when, but when they are uh, called together, they're meeting regularly on, on Sundays, they have some body life together. I'm not talking about three people in a Bible study. You know, I'm not talking about that, that, that kind of church or, or a home church or something like that. These are actual churches. And most places in Africa, they don't consider it a church until they have their own separate meeting place. If you're in a house, they just don't consider that a church. So, so that's, that's kind of how it, how, how, it, how it goes there. We know we could give the theological uh, definition of, of a church, but in terms of a local church, that's, that's kind of the benchmarks we're looking for. We're wanting them at least to be working towards electing their own officers and things of that nature. Yeah. So as you and Pam work there, how many other co-workers do you have that you reach In terms of missionary co-workers, we have, we have several that, uh, that are working with us in different capacities. We, we, aren't, we aren't a classic missionary team where we're all doing the same thing, but we, we have other MTW personnel. We, we have uh, Ben and Kim Church are there. Ben is pastoring one of, the, one of the new church plants in the Reformation Church in East Africa. He's actually helping to teach uh, one of my classes while I'm gone this semester, a missions course. And so he and, he and Kim are, are doing a, a good work there. We also have Bert and Nancy Williams, who are folks that are about our age, and they, they are more involved in church health, very much tied into what Briarwood is doing in terms of, they call it church revitalization at Briarwood, but we call it church health in Uganda. So they run the Shalom Center for Church Health. Nancy also is a teacher who trains teachers with the Psalm something or other. I can't remember which Psalm it was that this organization is named after, but where they train Christian teachers. So those are the two MTW couples. We have a single lady who is on the way, and then we have some non-MTW couples that are, that are working there too. We have several that are at African Bible colleges that are working there. Uh, as far as American missionaries, I think about five couples. And then we have Dave and Darlene Eby who are, who are, they're just amazing people. They're PCA folks, but not working under a, a mission board, just came under their own church. And uh, he's the driving force in the seminary. The majority do. The majority do. The, yeah, one of the reasons it had to be started was it's just prohibitive to try to send someone to America for training. Plus, it's really better for them to get training that's more culturally appropriate for them. So we are able to. Uh, I, I think we're. I think it comes down to a, a little under two thousand dollars a year per student that we're able to train them for. And you ask any of these guys that went to seminary, and I promise you they paid more than that. But, uh, 
but uh, but that in, and that includes their room and board and books and and and, and everything. So so it's a we we think it's a, a real value that that we're offering. We even gotten a few students coming over from America because it's so much cheaper and they're getting a good accredited education. That's like that's not really what the design was for. Yes. Yeah, uh, a lot of that would be w where we would plug most of the pastors in would be with Trinity Trinity Center for for world missions. If, if pastors that have advanced degrees uh, would be eligible to come and teach modular courses at Arts to Seminary, and then African Bible University has some one-week interterm classes, but uh, but all. Every course in the seminary, except for the language courses, is taught in a five days. So um, five days of lecture, it's brutal if you're the teacher, and it's probably not all that fun if you're the student either. <laughs> but, uh, but, but then they have uh, like three months to finish their papers and, and, and all their work, because I have a lot of reading and papers to write, uh, and things of that nature. Yes. I'm wondering if you could maybe share some of the main cultural differences or just kind of the daily life of our students. Okay. Well, cultural differences are just are just all over the map. One of the things I, I love to do is there's an elder in our church who does a seminar in African worldview versus American worldview. <laughs> and I love it when we have teams that come over where they get to, to hear that. But I especially like it when we get Africans in there too, because the Americans and the Africans are looking at each other. And like, you really believe that? Yeah, yeah you really? Yeah. So it's 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 really uh, it's really kind of fun fun uh, to to get that. Uh, one of the one of the biggest things in terms that that hit me was in America if you get sick. Even if you're a Christian, a Christian gets sick, the first thing you think of is getting medical treatment. Okay? In Uganda, the first thing you think of is this is a spiritual attack and we need to be praying. Okay? Yeah. Now, they'll go get medical treatment too, and we'll pray about it too, but it's what comes to you, to you first. We, we all know that, that there's a spiritual dimension and, and a material dimension to the world in which we live. But in Africa in general, not just Christians, but in general, people are far, far more preoccupied with the spiritual side of things than, than even in most of the church, any of the churches in America that I've visited. So that's, that's a big thing. And that's, that's not all bad. You know, that's, there's, a, there's, some good, there's some good to that. Sometimes, sometimes it's a little over the top because, you know, they maybe try to cast out a demon when, when medicine might help, you know. But, but still, there is, there, there is that. That's one, one of the big ones. You, you're probably familiar with 
with the the sense uh, the sense of time that's that we have here in Western Europe. It's much it's much different. Uh, yeah, Tom was saying, do you ever have a problem getting people to be quiet where when when you're ready to start church? No, because most of them haven't arrived yet. <laughs> So, so, um, so, so th there, there's that, and they even have, they even have an expression: uh, Americans have the watches, but Africans have the time. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so that that's a that's a big thing. You want to tell something? Uh, well, as far as the question about what our day looks like. For me, it's more, it's just a normal kind of, I can tell you, I, I usually just teach two classes and I keep it at that. Do you want to teach more? Like, no, I'm good. Because, like, if I teach a course, I try to have the students over and stuff. And uh, sometimes I'm teaching electives, and those are smaller classes, and I have a big porch out there, and I break them up and put them in small groups. And so I try to make it to where I do more in the home, and we have more fellowship times and stuff. And then some of them are in the classroom because they're bigger. But we, we do like to try to have, interact with the students and do hospitality and things that I want to be freed up to do other things. And for Bruce, he, he's all over the map because he's like, he might teach five courses here and then go over and teach at the seminary some during the term. But he often does that like fall break or spring break. He didn't listen to me because he thought it might be a good idea to go ahead and do it when African Bible University, the undergraduate school, was in session. And he'd just teach over in the seminary in the morning and then do his elective or whatever in the afternoon. He said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> like, you think? <laughs> but anyway, uh, for me, I, uh, my day, too, was good because you know, we have a shopping center across the street since we live in the capital. And so I... I do most. Uh, I do get somebody to come and help me clean and stuff once in a while, but y there's been problems through the years through that. So I generally just do that myself. And then he's very involved with the presbytery. He's like, okay, I have two Zoom calls this week with this and that, and you know, he's like, Neh. so he does a zillion things. Yeah. Couldn't do it without her. Well, different places where you go, you can, you can sense the spiritual warfare more. Uh, I, I, I like to tell a story since it's the last question. I'll go ahead and just tell a story that illustrates this. There was a witch doctor who owned a piece of property that a church wanted. To, a Presbyterian church wanted to buy this property and build on it. And uh, he, he said, uh, you will never build a church here. <laughs> and uh, he was adamant about it, but this was, there was intense prayer that was made over that. That piece of property was sold to someone else, and then it was bought by the church. <laughs> so the, the last, but the last time that, that Pam and I worshipped there, we joined our voices with more than 500 believers uh, offering sacrifice of praise to the Lord 
on the very site where sacrifices were once offered to demons. But spiritual warfare is, is, is real and it is intense, but Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, I was just going to say, I think for me personally, I think the enemies attacked me through many physical things throughout the years. I'm always, always something new, and I'm like, you know, this is beyond spiritual. It's physical, and, he, you know, just beyond physical, it's a spiritual attack as well. And, you know, just from Job where it's like, well, it's, you know, smite him with this or that. And then I do know a friend of mine who's a counselor there, lives on campus. She said she loves it getting on the plane going back to the States for a break because she said she can just feel the warfare start decreasing as she leaves because of the spiritual, the child sacrifices and stuff. 